Hey everybody, I'm your host, Ivy Moore. And I'm your host, Lindsay Sullivan. And you're listening to the Face to Face podcast, where we come face to face with people and stories that matter. Our idea was to curate a casual conversation that mimics a chat over coffee. Each episode will sit down with someone who can teach us something with their wisdom and experience. We hope this podcast fosters learning and feeds your soul. Greek life needs the people who have problems with Greek life. Here with me today is Hudson Gassiple. He's a graduate student at Pepperdine in his second year of his Master's of Divinity. I've seen Hudson around campus and we have some mutual friends, but this is the first time we're really getting to talk together. Hudson's also an intern for Panhellenic, so he's pretty involved with Greek life on campus. Thank you for joining me, Hudson. I'm going to start with how did you end up intertwined in Greek life and like what made you join way back when? And maybe like speak on your history at Pepperdine. Yeah. So um, my freshman year, I went through recruitment because everyone was my whole suite, my whole house. My RA was telling us to go to events and he was affiliated. We didn't really know what he was affiliated with. He just told us to go out to recruitment. And I I had no intention of joining a fraternity because like most other people, I had the same uh, initial, I guess, preconceived notions of what Greek life was like. And then I came to realize that Pepperdine was very different from that. Um, and uh, and so literally day one of recruitment, we go through Meet the Chapters. And uh, I had heard of four of the five fraternities. The one that I hadn't heard of at this point was Delta Ta Delta. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to be honest, like their presentation was so poorly put together that I was like, this is the one organization that I can see quite clearly I will not be uh, put into a mold because there is no mold. We have no structure. And so I was drawn to that fraternity specifically. And that is uh, very crucial to me being in the role I am in now, because as most people know, Delta Todd Delta got kicked off campus uh, fall 2017, my senior year. And I was, uh, unlike most people, I wasn't all that upset. Obviously, I was disappointed. I wish things had gone differently. But ultimately, when it comes down to it, when you weigh the evidence that the university had, their decision was the right decision. And I do think that we could have done better as a fraternity. And that being the case, I think a lot of fraternities, not just at Pepperdine, but nationwide, um, and Greek life as a whole, fraternities and sororities, they are not entirely aligned with the values that they were all founded upon, in my opinion. And I think there's a lot of room for growth and development. And I've also always just held the opinion that if I think something is broken, so to speak, rather than move on from it, I I would like to at least see what I can do to help it. And so I know Pepperdine's Greek life system. um, So I think that gave me a leg up over anyone else trying to be in this position, student affairs intern for Greek life. Um, also my chapter wasn't on this campus. So that meant I had no bias and I would like to think I, I, I don't really have a bias. And so that also naturally led me to being into the, in the position I am and being in a fraternity that got kicked off campus. I think more clearly than others, uh, I recognize the failures of Greek life, but based on my experience, I do still understand the, the merit, the value, the benefit of Greek life. And so I wanted to be a part of 
the organizations being able to really tap into what is beneficial. Yeah. Do you feel like when you were in Delta Tau Delta, you were able to have a role or a hand in kind of growing it and changing it as you're speaking? Or do you think it got kicked off too early and there was no really chance for that anyways? Um, um, it was a young fraternity when I joined. My freshman year, that was, I want to say, three or four years after we'd been chartered. I think we were chartered in, no, wait, we were chartered in 2012. I joined fall 2014. And so it was a young fraternity already. And I think it was just a rocky foundation from the start because we were a colony for two years. And that's rare for a, a chapter to be a, to be a colony for more than like a semester or a year. So uh, we got off on probably the wrong foot. I wasn't around for that, though, so I can't really say much on that. But when I was in the fraternity, I was on the executive board. I served as the guide, which was essentially chaplain and also head of ritual. And essentially a position that doesn't have a lot of weight to throw around when it comes to making decisions and all that stuff. And also I was an RA. And as an RA, both my junior and senior year, I made the conscious decision to remove myself from a lot of the social aspects of the fraternity because I don't want to compromise my position as an RA. I wanted to do that well, but I also wanted to be in the fraternity well. And I, as part of that, I really had to think, you know, with myself, what in the fraternity is there that I can do well that's not social? I mean, when you think about Greek life, there's social fraternities and social sororities. And not to say that I didn't hang out with my friends, my brothers, all this stuff, but I'm not going to be at parties. I'm not going to be at kickbacks. I'm not going to be at all this stuff. And so the best way that I thought I could serve the fraternity was be in that leadership exec role. I felt I saw the most dividends of my position paid off after the fraternity got kicked off because having been in that like chaplaincy type of role, I started having club convos after we got kicked off. And that was a way for me to continue to interact with the guys, you know, continue to build community. And then also at that point, it was just like, all right, we don't have letters that connect us anymore. We're not in a fraternity, whether you like it or not, which you definitely don't like it. We're not in a fraternity. We don't have letters, all this stuff. We don't go to chapter. So what is, what is it that actually, you know, unites us, that bonds us if we don't have that? And it was it a real was good still a net negative being kicked off, but there were positives. Yeah. Positives. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Okay, so switching gears. Can you explain like a brief summary of the exercise that you did when you spoke to all of Greek life that stirred up a lot of emotions? So it's an exercise that I'd seen done in like YouTube videos, whatever. I've seen it make its way around social media uh, where we I read off a series of statements, each statement being a, a qualitative factor about someone's upbringing. And with each statement, I would say step to the right or to the left if this applies to you. And so, I don't know, for example, uh, take a step to the right if you ever felt or it, take a step to the right if you always have someone who's your same race in your classes, whatever, something like that. And the majority of the room steps to the right. Essentially, all the statements had to do with uh, social privilege. And the point that I wanted to communicate about those specific attributes too is that none of them were things that were in anyone's control um it's not that and because that's the point of privilege privilege isn't something you chose you're not at fault for having privilege but you do have it nonetheless and so i, I wanted everyone to know like not a single statement that i read off was a conscious decision by you you did not choose to be in classrooms with 
other people, your race. You did not choose to, uh, you know, not have to work a job to help your family pay off rent. These aren't choices that you made, but it's just the upbringing that you had. And you have to look around in this room and see, one, there is two things. Uh, one, that pretty much everyone in that room was on the same side of the room. And you might be able to guess, but it was the side in which most of the statements correlated to having some sort of social privilege. And then the second thing you need to recognize is that there are people who are not on the same side of the room. That's the big thing. One, you're largely homogenous. And two, it's not because everyone is the same. It's just because you're homogenous. There are people who do not have the same upbringing as you. And the people who are in the room, it's not statistically representative of the campus or the nation as a whole. Um, and so the point of that whole exercise, at least my intention was just to, before I actually got into a conversation about, you know, what does diversity mean? How can Greek life be more diverse? I really wanted them to understand and, and just see visually the representation of, okay, fraternities and sororities are not diverse. We're all on the same side of the room right now, barring like five people, you know? Yeah. You know? Yeah. No, that was... Yeah, I really like the exercise, but uncomfortable. And I feel like uncomfort is the only way you can grow sometimes and realize yeah. how privileged you are, even though it is uncomfortable. And I think a lot of the other people in that room had never even that had never occurred to them or if they've never yeah. thought twice about everything that they have or have access to. That kind of um, leads me to my next question. A lot of people I know um, I've had conversations with and they've thought about dropping or whether or not Greek life is worth being saved. Cause I totally agree with your, your statement of how you chose to stay in your fraternity um, to improve it. But what would you say to someone who is kind of in that conflict of like, should I stay or should I yeah. just leave? Cause it's not worth it at all. Um, I wouldn't say it's not worth it at all. I definitely grew plenty because of my fraternity. A lot of times that was because of the hardships, but a lot of times it was just because of the relationships. But one thing that, that really kept me from leaving my own fraternity was the fact that Greek life won't cease to exist if I drop, you know? And if I feel like exiting this organization because I'm the only one who I think abides by my set of values, whatever, me leaving means my set of values also leaves that organization. Now, I don't want to say my values are higher than anyone else's, but if my values are good, as I think they are, then it's really a disservice for me to remove that from the fraternity. And I'm not saying that my fraternity was like a soulless, just immoral, you know, constituency, whatever. Uh, there were a lot of ways in which we could, we had opportunities to grow. <laughs> um, but Greek life needs the people who have problems with Greek life because it won't change as long as there's people in it who identify ways in which Greek life can grow. There are so many people on the outside. There's more than enough people on the outside who are critical of Greek life. We don't need more people outside of Greek life who are critical of Greek life. What we need is more people inside of Greek life who are critical of Greek life. And that way we could actually make progress towards... Um, Partly a return to the core values of each individual organization, but also partly um, being more uh, progressive as a whole. Because being so steeped in tradition, I think rightly so, a lot of people identify Greek life as somewhat backwards. So what does 
being in a fraternity or being involved in Greek life mean to you? I mean, I think it, it definitely ranges from, you know, depending on who you ask. They, I know some guys, they joined a fraternity because, you know, they, they used to play team sports in high school and they really miss that camaraderie of just a group of guys, you know, with similar goal, all this stuff. There are some guys who they see Greek life as a valuable asset to their social life, which is true. It is. And so they want to tap into that. There are guys who want just to develop a good community, brotherhood, et cetera. Um, for me personally, I remember I was I was kind of torn on whether or not I was going to take my bid. Um, I was on the phone with my dad. Uh, and I was just like, I don't, I, don't, <laughs> I mean, part of what drew me to it, to Delts specifically was the fact that there was really no structure, but also and so what were the opportunities to grow that were part of the organization itself? And I didn't really identify many, but because of that, I thought, hey, I have the opportunity to introduce that type of structure. I have the opportunity to be a part of a group of guys that will now, you know, create a foundation where men can develop, grow, be productive, I don't know, uh, people in society. I feel like that's a bit too general. But at the end of the day, my intention for joining the fraternity and also what I think a fraternity should be for is that though in, in name they are social organizations, it's also for the sake of this organization contributing to the well-being of its members and then those members contributing to the well-being of society as a whole. And so I don't think it differs that much from other organizations that have similar goals, but this is just a different avenue to take, in my opinion. Yeah, no, that's interesting. So did you join Panhellenic post-grad, or were you involved in it during your senior year after your fraternity was no longer on campus? Yeah, so Panhellenic, there are two governing uh, bodies in Greek life, and there is the National Panhellenic Council, which is the sorority side, the sorority governing body, and then there's IFC and a fraternity council, which is the fraternity governing body. And both of them have executive boards, whatever. During undergrad, I was not involved with Panhel at all because I was in a fraternity. Uh, and I was not involved with IFC either, um, just because I've realized for the most part, if you're not on the executive board of IFC or if you're not a president, you really are not involved at all. And I think that's something that could change. Um, we would like to see that change, but it's just a lot of people have genuinely no interest in being on IFC or Panhel. And I mean, we'll see what we could do marketing-wise to change that. Um, but no, I, I was not involved in either of those during undergrad. And then my after I graduated, I started an internship uh, with the housing and residence life at this university called St. Leo University just like 45 minutes north of Tampa, tiny school. Um, and I was essentially an RD for the summer for them because my intention was to be a student affairs intern for Res Life at Pepperdine while I was getting my graduate degree. And I applied for that. And then a friend of mine who works at Pepperdine or worked at Pepperdine, Phil DuVentry, he used to work in Res Life and then in IP. He told me that Allison Green was looking for an SAI, a student affairs intern. And I, I hadn't even considered it at the time, but I was like, huh, Greek life. And, and something just clicked with me right there. I was like, I don't know what I started, but whatever I did start, 
I'm confident I'm not finished yet. And so I applied for that one as well. Um, it was an interesting jump because I was pretty set on res life. I was an RA for two years and I knew a good amount of the, the department. Um, but I decided to choose Greek life instead because I felt, one, res life has plenty of great people. Greek life has Allison Green and that's it. Like, she needs help. I mean, to her credit, she does so much work. She does the work of what other universities have offices of like five or six people. And we have Allison Green. Uh, but that's really it when it comes to the support administratively that Greek life has. And I want to be a part of that support system. I mean, there's also just uh, extraneously, we got student activities as a whole, Brittany Skinner, Doug Hurley, et cetera. But the backbone of Greek life is Allison. And I thought if there was any change any improvement, any growth to be had, it would be working with her alongside her towards whatever the goal is. I think every day there's just a, a new goal, but the goal is always growth. So what does it look like? This is probably a really broad question, but like how, how do you start to make Greek life more inclusive? Because I'm not sure if this is true, but the people that first sign up to Rush might not be the most diverse group to start with. So then how do you sororities and fraternities pull from a group that's not even diverse? So is there a problem that needs to be addressed before? Yeah, it's one, it's difficult because we're at Pepperdine. I mean, I, in my presentation, I talked about and I gave the statistics of how Greek life is not um, diverse, proportionate to the general student population. But the general student population is also not diverse, proportionate to the, the national population. Uh, so it's already, we're already three steps back. And I don't think that that's entirely like a, a race issue. It's, it is race, but primarily because, in my opinion, institutional socioeconomic things that have over time just created uh, economic imbalance between races. And university is expensive. But anyways, the starting point that we have for Greek life during recruitment is a bunch of white people, you know? It's like, all right, uh, which white people are going to join our organization this year? With the exception of maybe like three or four people. And that's something I talked about, tokenism. If you can clearly identify the people in your organization who are not part of the majority, you are definitely not diverse. <laughs> To speak to that, I don't know if it's entirely about recruitment, if that's, you know, how Greek life should grow in, in, in regards to diversity and being more inclusive. There are organizations on campus. There are NPHC's National Panhellenic Conference. That's uh, Alpha Phi Alpha, Alpha Kappa Alpha, Greek letter organizations, which are historically black organizations. And yet there's no involvement whatsoever between them and then IFC and Panhell organizations. And part of, you know, what we have to do is, is just ask why. Like why, uh, why does no one attend AKA's philanthropy? Or why does no one go to Alpha Phi Alpha's chapter to talk about their own philanthropy? These are also social fraternities and sororities. So what's the difference? I mean, some people are like, oh, I mean, they're smaller or whatever. But that's the difference is the history and tradition behind them. 
And what we just don't like to acknowledge is that the history and tradition behind Alpha Kappa Alpha, Alpha Phi Alpha, is explicitly the failure of IFC and Panhel to include African Americans in their organizations. And so these organizations started as a result of that. Now, we can break that tradition or we can continue that tradition. I think before we even consider uh, our own organizations becoming more diverse, we have to look around and recognize the diversity on campus, the groups that exist on campus, and how can we be involved with them? No one will want to be in our, our, our homogenous groups if all they see is everyone doing the same thing, everyone has the same life, whatever. And then if I'm someone from, you know, well, I am. <laughs> if I am, if I'm someone from a multi-ethnic background in a lower-income neighborhood, and I, I see these organizations, I mean, when it comes to just getting along with folks, I, I, I've, I always have friends doing things that's like way out of my pay grade. You know, I, I, I can't do that. I can't hang out with them, and the people who are doing these activities, they're not even aware of that. They're not even aware that what they do, it's not bad. I don't think it's, no one's explicitly racist in Greek life. That's definitely not the case. And that's why I think a lot of people get defensive. They think people are saying, oh, you know, you guys are racist. No, we're not. And we're not saying you are. Uh, but there is this subconscious acknowledgement of difference that creates distance. And I think we have to be more conscious of difference so that we can actually you know, uh, I guess bridge the gap and realize that there really was never a gap in the first place. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I think your little exercise in that talk we had in Elkins a few months ago was so, to me, a good first step. I don't know if there's been um, events like that in the past, but this was the first time I was involved in one. But are there any like efforts by like IFC or Panhellenic to raise more I guess, awareness of those issues? Yeah. So we've, uh, both the Panhel and IFC executive boards, they did exec board restructuring, which means they moved around their positions, created new positions, got rid of old positions, um, partly to abide by our bylaws. But then also in part, both boards now have positions whose specific roles are overseeing diversity and inclusion efforts we do now actually want to put that in our explicit language as a focus so that someone who's applying for this position will know that they have the expectation of um, promoting efforts within Greek life to be more diverse and inclusive. And part of that is, at least for the IFC exec board restructure, the vice president of community relations, they have it as part of the explicit uh, outline of their roles that they have to create a calendar of events that includes, you know, what's going on with our uh, ICA clubs, what's going on with BSA, LSA, Alphas, AKA, all that stuff, so that the Greek community can be aware, so that we can be involved with them. Uh, we, for a long time, Greek life has been sitting on its, you know, throne of, all right, people want to be involved with us. And in large part, that's true. Recruitment proves that people want to be in Greek life. But at the same time, we show no interest in being involved in anything else on campus. It's so rare to go to a university and go to like 
their basketball games and just see no Greek life representation. I don't know what it is about our campus specifically, but our fraternities and sororities really don't make that much of an effort to involve themselves in the rest of campus life as a whole outside of individual efforts. There are plenty of individuals in Greek life, but just corporately, Greek life is not making that effort. And so we're trying to do that with the new positions. Greek life itself is not hurting because of it, but there are people hurting as a result. And we need to be more aware of that. In that sense, it's a problem. We have to start at the very least with conversation. Um, conversation that informs our action. And so right now we're just in the conversational stage. And since we're in that stage, I don't know what action's going to happen. But we're at least in the stage that we will eventually be able to decide the course of action. Yeah, yeah. well, that's so cool and very yeah. encouraging. I feel like there's a lot of people on campus that either are unaware that Pepperdine is not diverse or people are very aware and complain about it. But I had little idea that all these things are happening behind the scenes. And that's super cool. It's one of those. I mean, I never really considered diversity a big issue until I came here. Uh, but for very different reasons than other people might. I, know. I, I grew up in a very diverse city. I went to a church where everyone except my family could speak Spanish. They spoke English, too, which is necessary um, because my dad was the pastor who couldn't speak Spanish. Uh, but their whole, you know, I just never even thought of that as diverse, though. It was just normal. And I came here and I was like, this isn't normal. And as I as I've been here longer, I realized, wait, this is what's normal. And that's not good. Normal of just like everyone being separated into their little pockets is just so detrimental to the growth of society as a whole and the growth of individuals. And then there are people who they think this is way more diverse than they've ever seen before. And so there's this massive gap between people who grew up in very diverse settings uh, and then people who grew up in just the complete opposite. And they're both coming with their perspectives here of Pepperdine. And so we have to find a way for those perspectives to meet somewhere in the middle um, where ideally, Everyone feels welcomed, but not just feels welcomed because of what we're doing, but because we're inviting them, you know, whatever the spaces are, we're inviting them into those, those spaces. Yeah. And it's, it makes sense to me too. And it's almost ironic. And I think my frustration with Greek life sometimes is that it's a group of people who individually are so sometimes on fire for this Christian message and I do live it out, but then collectively as a Greek life, it's struggling to include everybody into, it's just this exclusive entity, I guess. Um, So it's kind of a toss up of, it is what you're talking about, the good parts, but then it does have this dark side of exclusivity, which is just interesting. How would you respond to someone who is privileged, but they claim they're not privileged because there's other people that have more wealth and have more privilege than they have. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Like, how would you? It's always contextual. I, I think a lot of times I come from a lower middle class to middle class background. And where I live specifically, my community in my hometown in Miami, the, the community I live in, my family, we're like rich, you know, we're rich to the, the people around us. 
Um, we're the ones who we always have people over and we can afford to like have big dinners, all this stuff. And then I come here and there's G wagons everywhere. Yes, I didn't have a car until last year, my, you know, my first year in grad school. And that wasn't because I didn't want one. I just couldn't afford one, but that wasn't a big deal because, you know, where I come from, I never thought of myself as poor. And now I'm here where it's like, maybe I am to a certain extent. But since I know that I have, one, I know that I'm here. That's just a massive thing already. That whether I'm in debt, which I am, whether, uh, you know, a lot of things happened, whatever, to get me here, I'm here. And that's something I'm fortunate to have. Just have a college education. Something very few people in the world throughout history have had the opportunity to, to get. But I don't like contextualizing um, when it comes to privilege. I mean, that is what privilege is. It's, it's what you have compared to what others don't. But when people say that they're not privileged, I mean, I can't help but think like everything I have from this pen right here on the table to the the relationships I have to the my opportunity to be on this campus serving in the capacity that I do and learning in the in the way that I am every single bit of it is a gift from God and I've been continuously trying to recognize that as such everything is a gift of God everything that I have is not something that I deserve to have or something that I earned it's something that by the grace of God I have and someone who's privileged Especially at Pepperdine. It's easier to say this at Pepperdine, where it is a Christian university, and, and for the most part, the, the majority of the population does come from a, at least a Christian perspective. It's that what you have is a gift from God. All we need in life is God. The point of fasting was not to give up food, water, whatever. The point of fasting was to realize and recognize that all I needed for for me to, you know, live for my sustenance was God. Even food and water are gifts that I'm grateful to have. And so people who say they're not privileged, I would ask them like, all right, what is it here that you have earned, that you've worked for, that is there to your credit, that's there that you have, that's in your possession because of something that you did? I can't even really tell you anything. And I, I would say comparatively, I don't have much. But even I can't tell you I'm not privileged. Because yeah. I definitely am, without a doubt. And again, just speaking to the Christian perspective, I mean, Jesus himself said, uh, when, when you see the, the, the beggar and you, you help the beggar, when you see the, the poor, the widow, the orphan, Jesus, he's the least of these when you're serving them, you're serving him. And my life, I don't want to, you know, promote diversity for the sake of diversity. I don't want to help people for the sake of helping people. The ultimate ends, the ultimate goal, at least in my own life, is that I have the opportunity to serve Jesus and I want him to be glorified. And these are specific ways in which he tells us to do it. Like there's, there are not many, you know, concrete things 
that you could say socially Jesus asks us to do. But here we have helping the poor, you know, taking in the widow and the orphan. And then loving your neighbor as yourself, your neighbor, who he goes on to say is the Samaritan who you hated. It's just, it only makes sense to me (laughs) in regards to who is welcome here. We want to work on growing that, being more welcoming, being more accessible for more people. But we can only do that starting with who we already have here. And so who do we have here? And how can we focus on that? Yeah, and I agree. Pepperdine is only only 3,000 or so people, right? Yeah. Like it's not, it's the world. And I think that's a mindset I've realized of a lot of young people my age is we want to be the people that make all these huge changes and join this nonprofit and that nonprofit and have our hand in everything. But we can't do that. Like we can't all be the saviors of the world and fix all these problems just like with Greek life and just like with Pepperdine, we're like changing the lives of the people, 3,000 or so people in it, but we're not changing the lives of everyone in the world. But like what you're saying, you can train these people and send them out to try to do that. And that's exactly like the mission statement, purpose, service, leadership. What's your purpose? How are you going to serve and how are you going to lead in doing that? And I think Pepperdine administration would be mad if people only did that here. It defeats the purpose. Mm -hmm. Just like what I said with fraternities and sororities, I think they're for promoting the well-being of individuals so that those individuals are equipped to promote the well-being of the world. It's always just about an exponential growth, an exponential uh, glorification, if you will. Mm -hmm. That's what I would like to think. Um, But it's, it's changing people so that those people can go out and do the same. We'd like to thank Sydney Griffith for designing and creating our cover art, Kayla Mendez for producing this episode, and PGM for supporting this platform. I'm Lindsay Sullivan. And I'm Ivy Moore. Thank you for listening. Join us next time for another episode of the Face to Face podcast.